We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Wednesday. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes Podcast. Got a great conversation today on today's show. Resident uh, friend of the pod, uh, Michael Borky, Super Talk, Do It All Man, Sports Talk Mississippi, three to six days, three to six every day of the week, I should say, not three to six days a week joins us we talked some uh college football playoff reaction we recorded about an hour after the rankings came out got into some Ole Miss and state stuff as they head into the last quarters of their respective seasons uh if you've listened throughout the season talked to Borky right before the season got him I think around the halfway point maybe it was Ole Miss's bye week somewhere in there um and just kind of enjoy checking with him in with him every four to five weeks talk some big picture stuff with both schools the flawed flawed system that we do have in college football and why people are just constantly pissed off when it comes to the college football playoff ranking. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation. I sure did. Uh, no real open today. I'm going to do some recruiting stuff with Weldon uh, for Friday show. I think before we get to uh, get to our picks with Greg. So I'm still kind of workshopping what that might look like. I might even take some questions from, Oh, that's the message board or just social media in general about what goes into building depth and certain things like that. Figure it's topical with old uh, Pastor Hugh coming coming this week. I originally had a uh, an open regarding the college football playoff and the flawedness of it and why we're just constantly love to be so angry at this kind of made-up system where you stick a bunch of dudes in a room in Grapevine, Texas and come up with 25 teams and how it's never going to be consistent. But I think we covered uh, the majority of that already so i don't really see any need to rehash it uh and so we'll just go roll with the conversation today and then i will uh i will have some more recruiting stuff on friday with weldon and then get into our typical friday picks and stuff like that and i'll probably have some thoughts about Ole miss in the game and all that stuff so mostly just a college football playoff Ole miss and state last quarter of the season stuff today on today's show before we get to that though i want to remind you the podcast brought to you by skybox sports picks who is skybox sports picks well Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox matrix interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Need to check these guys out. They've been raking it in in the NFL, uh, kind of riding the wave in college and NASCAR is crushing it as usual. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether that's a month long, season long. Uh, I'd recommend going the year-long all sports. It'll pay for itself and then some because that's what Skybox does, make you money. But if you're looking for something 
uh, kind of in the middle, whether you prefer a specific sport or you want to go all sports, they're going to have something to fit your price range. You can even try a daily pass for 10 bucks if you just want to give it a little taste on a college football Saturday or an NFL Sunday. But they're going to have something that fits your budget. Use the promo code RIPPY and you'll get 20% off any purchase that you make at skyboxsportspicks.com. You don't want to pay the man on Sunday nights. You want him being him paying you, you reaching out to him on Monday morning, asking where your uh, beer money for the next week is coming from. Skybox is going to help you do that more consistently than anyone else. Certainly more consistently, consistently than your dumb brain. So check him out, skyboxsportspicks.com. That was not an insult at the listeners. Uh, I should have, could have said my dumb brain. Point being, don't go off your own logic. Use the experts. Check them out. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. Rippy Wright special uh, current deal is a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack sausage. Uh, the uh, <laughs> inflation has, has spared no one, including the Rippy Wright's podcast with the prices of beef going up. We had to, uh, we had to up the uh, – up the 16-ounce prime strip a couple of bucks, but it's still a fantastic deal. It's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Throw that on the grill. You got a nice dinner. Watch the night games. Maybe do it for an NFL Sunday. It's a great way to kick it off. And then go check out LB's to see all the other great stuff they got. I hope you all listened to the Friday show where Greg was talking about the boudin stuffed, whatever the hell it was that sounded so good. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he's got all kinds of great sausages, fresh seafood, lane train special, bacon wrap filet, all kinds of great stuff. It's the best place in Mississippi to go get meat. You're going to find something there that you're going to be absolutely eager to try. Some crab stuff, mushrooms I got the last time I were in there were absolutely delect- delightful. Uh, had took a golf trip recently. Greg hooked us up with some filet burgers. It was awesome. You need to go find your own favorites at LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. And then lastly, the podcast brought to you by Manscaped. That's right, pubic service announcement here. It's time to make your me time in the bathroom your favorite time by joining the more than 2 million guys across the country. I should say people, ladies too, guys across the country that uh, have joined Manscaped and are using their lawnmower 4.0 model. Who is Manscaped? They are the best in men's grooming they offer precision-engineered tools for your jewels. How about that? Uh, imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. Lawnmower 4.0 model is equipped with a 4,000K LED spotlight. Take on and off. Uh, eco-friendly portable charger. Got different guard sizes, one through four. 70s were a wild time I heard. Uh, Manscaped just make sure that the 70s don't happen again or don't get too out of, out of control down there. Uh, check them out, manscaped.com. Use the promo code MPW and get 20% off and free shipping on any purchase you make from manscaped.com. So check them out. This has been your pubic service announcement. Manscaped, here is Michael Forky. All right, we now welcome on recurring guest, friend of the pod, do it all man at Super Talk Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky. We checked with you at the beginning of the season, checked back in, I think around the halfway point i can't remember if that was bye week halfway point whatever now we got a quarter of the season left uh college football playoff rankings just came out as of about an hour before we started recording this so probably a lot of college football stuff to dive into definitely a ton of Ole Miss and state how are you man i'm doing well although this is and i'm not being hyperbolic the game that i've been least looking forward to all season in terms of old miss anyway is the Liberty game. I, I, we talked about it this summer. You and I talked about it before the season. I, I knew this week was going to be weird. And it is. 
the, some of the stuff that we got sent to us on the radio show today uh, via our text line and a buddy of mine was sending me screenshots of a Facebook page this morning and stuff. It's just a weird feeling around this week. I was not looking forward to it because now, you know, we spent an hour on it today. We're going to do it all week. We're just going to have to rehash and rehash because that's all anybody wants to talk about is the return of Hugh Freeze. And if you love him, if you hate him, whatever. I'm so sick of the conversation, but I know you can't avoid it because he's going to be on the sidelines at Bought Hemingway Stadium again or not again for the first time since he resigned in shame so it's a huge story i'm just exhausted by it already and it's tuesday yeah i haven't gotten a lot of it clearly because i'm in another state a little bit more disconnected just in general and doing this part-time now i can kind of dictate my own content well not kind of i can completely dictate my own kind of content menu and what I want to talk about and write about and whatnot. And so I haven't, I, I mean, I'll get into it into tomorrow's newsletter. I had a couple of work conflicts on Monday. So I put out the Monday newsletter pretty late. Didn't seem much of a point to rehash stuff on Tuesday. And I knew with the rankings coming out, point being, I'll have one out by the time most people are listening to this and I'll probably hit on it a little bit, but yeah, you knew this was going to be a weird week. Probably helps slightly the fact that it's an 11 o'clock game instead of like a 6 p.m. game, even though not that that's going to be marquee television for anyone, but just I don't know. There's a certain feel laid back, kind of lazy feeling that comes with an 11 a.m. game. There's a deadness to it. That probably helps a little bit. But you always knew this was going to be weird. It would probably be stranger if Ole Miss still had a terrible defense. Like if this was the 2020 Ole Miss defense and maybe the 2020 uh, Liberty offense, like there might be more of a conversation about like how this game could get strange, but yeah, now it's just completely centered on the fact that freeze is coming back. I just have always, I knew there's people that would build a statue of him no matter what. I know there's probably a smaller version of people that, you know, wish ill will on him completely. And then as I sit back and look at it as someone who started covering this toward the end of the freeze era, it just, very complicated. I was never around like the program close enough. I was just pretty much your average college student for most of the good freeze years. And by that, I mean, I started covering football second half of 2015, but was not like the main guy on the beat and then started covering it. Unfortunately, beginning of 2016 through the end of the Matt Luke era. So I got some great years, but I didn't see the good. I always saw the bad. And so I think that probably jaded me a little bit in terms of how I viewed things. But I guess uh, to avoid a long-winded rant, it's just a complicated story. And I don't think there's really any other way to look at it. There's a ton of good. Oh, Omis had some really good nights and some really good years. And he took the program to not necessarily heights it hadn't seen before. Because when you look at the end product, yes, Omis went to a Sugar Bowl, but that's a different Sugar Bowl than it was, you know, pre-college football playoff era. But he proved that you could win big at Ole Miss and land high-profile talent in kind of this very modern age of college football. I have, you know, modern's a vague word, but this, you know, 2010 on social media era of college football, where uh, I would say the talent has been consolidated to a few programs, even more so than it has in years past. And then there was a lot of bad and he embarrassed the program on the way out. And I think you just have to put all of that together and however you choose to view it is how you choose to view it. I'm someone that just looks at it and says a lot of good, a lot of bad. He probably regrets some things, whether he admitted it or not. And I get that for sure. I mean, that's how I think most people feel. That's how, that's how I think most people feel. Maybe I'm off base on that. But, but what I've learned 
I mean, over the last few years, but especially so far this week, is that there is some number of Ole Miss fans. Maybe it's just hundreds or very few thousands, but there is a number of them. We heard from them today on our text line. I've got some of them in my Twitter mentions. I've was sent screenshots of that Facebook group this morning. What I don't understand is these people, however many there are, I love him. I miss him. I want him to be the coach again. I wish we never would have fired him. I'd take him back today. Those are the people that I I can't quite wrap my, my mind around that line of thinking. Like indifference, I get a lot of good, a lot of really good. Man, I went to the Sugar Bowl. I, had a, I love New Orleans. I had a blast. Like the, the mood around everybody that was there. And honestly, walking around New Orleans, like when you encountered Oklahoma State fans, they knew they were about to get their ass kicked. Like it wasn't just that things were good. It's that you there, there was relative consistency. And yes, I know it's a season in which they lost to Memphis, but not only were they good, it wasn't surprising that they were good. Like the formula was there for consistent winning if not for outside factors i mean he like you said he proved it he's part of the reason why lane kiffin is is there today he showed old miss that you can do it at old miss he showed that but but so much happened after that revelation no pun intended you you can't look at it just positively anymore indifference i get good bad that's fine Hatred, I get. I do. Uh, It's the I love him, I want him back thing that I've heard so much of, shockingly so, uh, over the last few days. And and Rivi, it got to the point on the radio show today where I just put a tweet out there. This is what I said. Um, Sorry, I've I've lost it. But it, it was just, here we go. The amount of people that, quote, can't wait to see Hugh Freeze this weekend is staggering to me, is what I said. Two hours later, guess who DM'd me? Hugh Freeze? Yes. Wait, really? I'll send you the screenshot right now. That's T. You, you, it's a veteran move to just in, with the, in, replace a couple letters with asterisks. That's yeah, I, I just sent you the screenshot. Look forward to seeing you, brother, this weekend. We've, I, <laughs> <laughs> so oh, it, it's, it's such a bizarre feeling. And, and I don't follow him. He doesn't follow me. I didn't go to BBB. What's where are y'all got meeting up? I mean, I'm not going to be at the game. So I, I don't know why, why he's looking forward to seeing me because he won't, but it, it's just such a bizarre day in a bizarre circumstance. I, I get the hate. If there is it, I get it. Maybe it's time to move on from that, but I understand. I get indifference. The, it was good. It was really good. I appreciate that. It was also bad. I didn't appreciate that. It's whatever. He's going to be on the sidelines, whatever. You got Kiffin now. All things are good. But the other stuff that I've seen, I, I'm, I'm blown away by it. I did not realize that there were this many people that still had that kind of a feeling for him, however many it may be. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I wish you'd hit me with that slide before we started recording. I would have led with that to talk about the important stuff on this podcast. That's hilarious good to see he was still reading everything about him out there um but yeah i mean that 2015 season was really the most hugh free season of all time 
He beat Alabama. It was an incredibly well-called game. He beat LSU. From what I remember, Ole Miss was fairly banged up going into that game. Nothing really – the reason I view 2015 differently than 14, because Ole Miss was a team hanging by the by a thread toward the, towards the end of the 14 season, whether it was Bo Wallace or Treadwell and kind of the way that year ended. They were very much um, a banged-up team to where Ole Miss was relatively healthy towards the end of the 2015 season. He's – you know. He, they beat Alabama because of him. Like he orchestrated that whole thing, but they also lost to Memphis and got absolutely smoked at Florida because he kind of got his pants pulled down from a coaching standpoint. To me, that was kind of the perfect, perfect two free season. But yeah, I get the mixed part of it. You talk about the faction of people that I guess that you're speaking to generally in your tweet talking about it. Um, I can't wait. I, I'd start shaggering to me how many people can't wait to see who frees. I think part of that was he was, not that he benefited from having to resign in disgrace and everyone make the escorted out and the sex jokes and all that. Not that it wasn't deserved. I think the fact that he didn't have to play out the 2017 football season and probably a little bit into 2018 um, benefited him a little bit from a purely results on field standpoint, because I remember freeze after the 27, 2016 egg bowl. I can't remember if it was the egg bowl or the Vanderbilt game, but we were all gathered up in, I want to say it was Vanderbilt. I don't think the Egg Bowl had happened yet um, because that's when he made poor Dave Womack come out and announce he was resigning right before the game and then have to come face the media. That was a bizarre deal. It was after the Vanderbilt game where I think he called that the most challenging season of his professional career, which is a little bit ironic because he hadn't been a head coach very long. But it was telling in the sense that Ole Miss really hadn't struggled much under Freeze. And I don't – honest to God, now, here's a hot take for you. I'm not sure – Hugh Freeze would have gone six and six like Matt Luke did under 20 in 2017. Uh, I think there was some benefit of Matt Luke being a fresh voice and there being a freeness to playing under him. Cause I think that that message, you know, you kind of saw them. I hate using the word quit, but they tuned him out towards the end of that 2016 season. And then Chad Kelly going down really just was the straw that broke the camel's back. I think there would have been more of that in 17, particularly if they got off to a bad start and he wasn't going to have to reap reap the consequences of these recruiting classes. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because I know we have more to get to, but like pull up his 2016 recruiting class. Here's his defense. I'm just going to list the defensive players because the offensive ones are still pretty good. Benito Jones. Okay. That's a hell of a one to start. It's a good football player. Deontay Anderson. Uh, let's see. Jaywin Jones is <laughs> still playing on this. I, I wanted to do a story on him. I, he's an Allen kid out here. I was going to try to talk to some people out here, but I couldn't find any, but how he's just still around. Oh, let's see. Josiah Coatney. Okay. Greg Eisworth, South Grand Prairie kid. I've been out there to cover a game. I don't, I, I don't remember him at all. Dante Evans, Miles Hartsfield, Dietrich Bing Dukes, and Tariqis Tisdale. I'll just go up to the 2017 just for the sake Wait, of it. Because it? How many players is that? Is that seven? Well, dude, it was offensive heavy. That was kind of his deal. I mean, I'll go, I mean they had 25. Greg Littleshea Patterson. A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Octavius Cooley, wow. Trey Nixon. Oh, sorry, I missed Chuck Wiley. My bad. I missed one in there. But Blue Penniman, Bryce Matthews, Justin Connor, Jacob Mathis. They were very offensive heavy because when it came down to it, when they missed on a kid defensively, they needed that next four-star receiver, four-star tight end. That was uh, – image, shockingly, was important to Hugh Freeze. Uh, I don't want to turn this into Hugh Freeze Rose Fest, but I do find it fascinating. Let's just go through one more class. Uh, D.D. Bowie, I just say that because – I don't remember back then what side if they decided where he was going to play on what side of the football. Remember, he was a tweener kid out of Morton, not tweener, but could play either way. Momo Sonogo, Cam White, 
Josh Clark, Markel Winters, AJ Harris. Do you, did you remember any of these kids on the field? Brendan Williams, Jamar Richardson, JV and Hamilton, CJ Miller. Really good talent wise. They were even the next staff that came in was high on him uh, in terms of what he could do. Sincere David. I remember when they, Sincere David announced he was signing. And I think I texted Kyle Campbell and was just like, is that a real guy? Like it felt like the major league scene where it's like, this guy here is dead. Cross him off the list. Cross him off. Uh, Ryder Anderson, uh, Zy Baker, Chester Graves. And that was it. That, that none of the, none of those dudes other than those two classes, Chuck wow. Wiley, Ryder Anderson, uh, Josiah Coatney, and like one more made an impact. So I point being, this is a long winded way of getting to it, but I just don't think he had to reap just how bad that defense was going to be. And, you know, any of those yeah. people that want to say that, you know, blame it on McGriff. Well, guess who hired McGriff? Right. Because <laughs> he, he didn't know anybody. So anyway, he didn't have to, he didn't have to see the bad on-field product that was soon to come, even if he had remained the head coach. And honestly, he could have survived it. So I think that's part of it, but it's going to be a weird weekend. Um, but yeah. I also think it, it, he deserves the mixed reaction. It doesn't deserve to be all bad. Um, no. No, no, it's the perfect story. If he gets a lot of cheers and maybe a few boos, I think that's the perfect Hugh Freeze reception. It's fitting. Um, and no, I, I think indifference or whatever it may be, mixed feelings are the most appropriate because, like I said before, he is the guy. I mean, before Hugh Freeze got to Ole Miss, you know, I was in college and I thought, you know, this place could be better than what they are. And he proved it. Ole Miss can be a better football job than it has shown it to be. All of their coaches have recruited relatively well. Houston Nutt, look at his classes. I know he signed 50 guys, uh, but he recruited well. Ogeron recruited well. Matt Luke recruited well, relatively speaking. Class numbers and stuff like that. There were flaws and freezes, but he recruited well. There are Lane Kiffin and Nicole. impacts on both sides of the ball, to your point. Yes. Right now. And, I mean, Kiffin, in a COVID year where he couldn't host visitors, recruited in the top 20. Like, it is a job that you can have consistent winners. Are you going to win championships every year? No. But you can have a winning football program, one that is respectable, constantly ranked nationally, and he proved that. I, I guess what I'm trying to say, because I spent all day talking about it, is if you are one of those people, and I know some of you listening are, if you still have that feeling, watching what you have now, I can't help you. You have the feeling of, I wish he were back. When you have Lane Kiffin doing what he's doing, the brand power, the marketability, the players, how attractive the program is, how much fun the program is, and through all of the fourth down stuff, at least you got a coach that's willing to go for it on fourth down. I mean, even the bad is still at least exciting. Everything about your program right now is trending in a positive direction. There's no NCAA cloud. There's no scandal. It's just fun football. It's fun, exciting, relevant football. And so – somebody told me today I need to move on from freeze. Probably. Maybe I should stop talking about it. Maybe I shouldn't have even brought it up with you to, to start this, but they are playing him this week. But I think the best reception that you could give him is really nothing. Don't even act differently. 
the marketing people aren't going to acknowledge him. He's not going to get a pre, uh, a, you know, a thing on the video board or anything. I've enjoyed the two times I've been back in Oxford asking Kyle Campbell when the, like if I could get an early release of the tribute video. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not going to happen. So the conversation of, will he get booed? Well, what will be the opportunity when his team takes the field? Every team that takes the field gets booed there. So, so what opportunity will you have to give him a reception? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, that's, that's probably the, the, the perfect thing. I mean, it, it's been years now. You had three years of Matt Luke. This is year two of Lane Kiffin. So I'm not a math guy. I, we're, we're on year five now removed from his time at Ole Miss. Things are better now than they were when he left. You have an exciting staff, an exciting program who's putting out an exciting product. I wouldn't acknowledge him at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't treat it any differently than anybody else that comes into that stadium. Willie Fritz at Tulane? Same thing. Like, receive Hugh Freeze the same way you received Willie Fritz from Tulane. Just another guy. That's hard to do, but that's the most appropriate to me. I agree. Maybe you knock out a wall and allow him to give them the option to coach in a bed if he wants to upstairs, but that's probably as far as I would go as it's concerned with that. But yeah, so it'll be an interesting weekend. I think, I mean, we'll have more important things to talk about the game itself. Ole Miss and State in a second. Let's get to the topical, uh, the topical topic uh, for a terrible uh, phrase there, but the college football playoff rankings. So they came out about an hour before we started recording this. And guess what? People are upset. Um, and this is, <laughs> this is so funny to me. Like last year, it was a little bit watered down, I think, just because of COVID-19. And I mean, hell, I know you were still in the business full time. But I kept up with college football less than I did, than I can remember a single time in my short adult life. Um, I, I don't remember being that checked out. And, you know, I, I understand that part of that was probably just where I was at in life, where I'm working in outside of sports for the first time and in a different city and living outside of the state of Mississippi full time for the first time. But I just feel like there wasn't as much uh weekly conversation and outrage about the college football playoff because it was a weird watered down season you're talking about cancellations all that now we're back in full force first week in november maction has started they put out the first rankings people are upset that cincinnati got jobbed i'm sure people are upset about other things as well this is such a funny funny thing we do as consumers whether it's fans or just media people in general we know this setup sucks we clamored for this setup that sucks. And now we're going to complain about how we said this setup sucks as we get what we wanted. No one granted asked for these rankings to come out week by week for the last month of the season. But the reason they do it is because we're all going to talk about it on all of our shows tomorrow and debate it. And it'll start spark the conversation, except apparently on ESPN's uh, midweek mainstream programming, that doesn't really scratch the service anymore, which is beyond me, given what they're paying uh, to at, to air live television on Saturdays. But that's neither here nor there. People are upset. <laughs> I'll just let you go any way you want with this to start off. What are your initial reactions to the college football playoff? doesn't even have to be Mississippi-centric because I know the one part is State got a lot of respect and Ole Miss and State are close. We can get to that in a second. But outside of that, anything stick out? Is it fair to say that I think that Alabama is probably the second-best team in college football while also thinking Alabama being ranked number two right now shows how broken the system really is. And I think it's inappropriate and they shouldn't be ranked there right now. 
Can I have those two thoughts at the same time? Because I think when it comes down to it, probably Alabama is the second best team in college football, probably. But the fact that Alabama right now is ranked ahead of Michigan State, who is undefeated and has a top 10 win. Alabama's best wins right now are Ole Miss and Mississippi State, by the way. Uh, ranked ahead of even Oklahoma. I know Alabama. Alabama's better than Oklahoma. But Oklahoma's won all their games. Alabama has not. Uh, I'm kind of mind-blown by it. I, I, they are ranked where they are because of who they are and not That's because okay of what they are. So we give this as a benefit. I, you can have that take. I don't necessarily disagree with it. I can see both sides of it. Do I hate Alabama being there at all? No, not really. Um, because they are the second best team in the country. I think it's Alabama, Georgia, like it, yeah. and everybody else. I think the national title game will be played in the first week of December. Just my opinion on it. I could hear an argument for Ohio State because they do have – they're that level of talent-wise on both sides of the ball, and I don't think you can say that about Oklahoma. You can't say that about Michigan State. I'm not sure you can say that about anywhere else. And it feels like they figured out some stuff, particularly in the secondary, and that offense looks a hell of a lot more explosive than it did the first two weeks of the season. So I could hear an argument for Ohio State being in there, but the rest of it, I, I'm not sure it's going to end up mattering. And So I don't, I, I, I don't really ever get worked up about either side of this either way. So part of me wants to commend the committee for just saying the hell with it. We're going to go by the four best teams and not put necessarily criteria out there. But I think what irks people is they clearly didn't do that. Um, one through 25. Uh, I think there was a hodgepodge of, uh, I think for the top four teams, they probably, at least the top three, they probably said, here's who we think are the three best teams in the country. And then after that, it was a mix of, well, are they actually better than the team ahead or behind them in criteria, which is, you know, what you're going to get when you have a bunch of people sitting in a room making up a list of 25 teams instead of an actual playoff qualification system. So, yeah. no, I like don't think Gary Barta, anyone uh, has is wrong. I do think, though, if you actually are – like if you're Danny Canelling this thing and you're vocally upset about Alabama number two and saying they're not the second-best team in the country, you probably just hate the SEC. Yeah, probably so. Uh, little things like this I don't like. Like Gary Barta, the committee chair, when asked about Cincinnati being ranked number six despite being undefeated and having two Power Five wins, and he says that the, the win at Notre Dame was good, but who else have they played? Well, Gary, who else has Ohio State played aside from Oregon, who they lost to at home? Ohio State's best win is Penn State, who the week prior lost to in, or Illinois. That's Ohio State's best win. So, so how can you say, well, who has Cincinnati played? Well, who has Ohio State played? Indiana? Oh, Cincinnati beat Indiana, though. Well, Penn State? Well, it's close at home. Tulsa? That, that's the kind of stuff that really irks me. And... I'm not going to try to convince people listening. They're smarter than this, that Cincinnati, if they played Ohio State, Cincinnati would beat Ohio State. I don't think they would. But I don't know that for sure. And I know that Cincinnati is 8-0 this year after going undefeated last year. Their only loss, Cincinnati's only loss in two years, is a two-point loss to Georgia in a bowl game. It's only loss in two years. And we're doing the who have they played thing when comparing them to Ohio State. Well, who have they played comparing them to Oregon? Yes, Oregon has a very nice win over Ohio State. They lost to Stanford. 
who had a losing record at the time. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand why Wake Forest, for example, was behind Michigan. You want to do the who have they played thing? Who has Michigan played? Who have they beaten? And you look at Wake Forest's schedule and there's nothing on it. But if you replace Wake Forest in their record, their 8-0 record with that schedule, with Clemson, identical scores, identical record. With Clemson, what is Wake Forest ranked? Two? Three? Probably. Do I think Wake Forest is number two or three? No, I don't. And that's why I feel silly saying it out loud because I, I do think that Alabama is the second best team in the country. I think Ohio State would beat Michigan or will beat Michigan State when they play later this year. I think Oregon's appropriately ranked. But when you're really boiling this down to how you're making these selections, Wake Forest is underranked at night. Or they, or they should be because if they had a paw on their helmet instead of a WF, they'd be two or three instead of nine. Same team, same scores, same schedule, and they're ranked higher because they are Clemson. I don't have necessarily a problem with that, though, because you've seen Clemson you know, go toe-to-toe and win two national titles on the stage with the teams that we were just talking about have that elite level of talent pool where clearly Wake Forest doesn't. I mean, you go through their schedule – Uh, I don't even have it pulled up, but you could do it real quick. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Talking about giving these programs the benefit of the doubt. I don't have a problem with that. It's and like, there's a million ways to dice it up. Right. And it's just a product of, again, not having an actual playoff qualification system, which until you get one of those, which I'm not necessarily sure we're ever going to get, this is just what you're going to have. Let's just for the sake of the uh, argument real quick. Let's see. Wake beat Louisville. 70 to 56 shootout with the troops. They have a win on the road over Syracuse. They beat Duke. They beat Florida State. And yeah, you know, I'm I mean, gonna, I'm not uh, trying Old to Dominion, fool North here. Polk State, and Virginia. So, like, it's not a good schedule at no, all. It is I mean, not, it's not really getting better. They're going to have, they have three of the last four on the road. And that includes NC State at home, Clemson on the road, and BC. So, whatever. Like, I don't know how that shakes out for them. Yeah, they're but. underdogs to North uh, North Carolina this weekend. Yeah, see, that should probably tell you everything you need to know. North Carolina, probably the most, probably the most disappointing team in the country based off of uh, preseason rankings. But wait, who is the offensive coordinator there? Philip Longo, Boots Longo. Um, recruiting. Oh, wait, is that, the, Longo. is that the guy that was at Ole Miss when AJ Brown and DK Metcalf and Dawson Knox were there? He is. He provided uh, the Fox and CBS crews uh, fodder for every single Seahawks, Titans, and Bills game for the next <laughs> half decade. So uh, congrats to Longo for that one. You could go all day, right, up and down about, like, you know, deliberating over these rankings. The only other two things I wrote down, just initial thoughts before we started recording, was I was a little surprised that Oregon was that high. I don't necessarily hate it. Like, I guess if you're going to put them in the top six, why not put them four because they beat the team yet five? Is there a part of this that's just like, hey, we need to keep the Pac-12 in this somewhat? Like, the, like, you know, not throw them a bone because I don't think that's the right phrase to use, but just keep them in the picture because they, they are the only team. Like, the only other team that had a hope of being ranked in this sucker was, what, Utah, probably? And that's the only other team you could even come up with. So, like, yeah. I mean, do you feel like you're alienating every single team west of the Rocky Mountains if you don't put them somewhere close to around the top six? Like, that's the only, like, I wonder if there's some element of that. 
And then, well, that was my biggest argument for playoff expansion last year when we're, you know, everybody does the offseason. Should we expand the playoff conversation? After October 3rd last year, if I'm getting the date correct, when Oklahoma beat Iowa State, giving everybody in the Big 12 two losses, there was not a single, not one game played west of the Mississippi River that that had playoff implications. Not one after October 3rd last year. It's a regionalized sport, as much as people don't want to admit it. it. At the moment, it is. And at least for Oregon, I think they're actually recruiting at a level that can, like, be competitive in the playoffs and stuff. But, I I mean, other than that, I mean, let's pretend for a second that Oregon loses a game somewhere. Somewhere they lose a game, losing the Pac-12 championship to whoever the hell. Maybe they lose this weekend. They're under a touchdown favorite to Washington. So let's say Washington beats them. And Wake Forest, even if they run the table, will be left out. But I don't think they will. So Wake Forest loses one more game. And the Pac-12 and the ACC are left out of the playoff completely. You will have it expand to 12 teams as soon as they possibly can make that happen. The whole alliance thing, the delaying it because of the big bad SEC, all that narrative, all that whatever you wanted to call what they were trying to pull before the season began, that ends. That ends immediately when those two get left out of the playoff again. It won't happen. It's over at that point for the 14 playoff. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. It's, I don't know. I don't know how you fix it. I mean, they just need USC to be good again and can Oregon to continue to be good. And hopefully the third program comes along, whether that's. Here's the answer. They can't fix it. Yeah, I don't think you can. I mean, look, I hate doing this because I haven't been to enough parts of the West Coast of the country to not just be that dumb Southerner that has takes about places I've never been and don't understand regions of the country, but particularly Los Angeles. I've spent a decent amount of time in Southern California having a close friend from college move out there for a bit. The dudes that go out there and actually keep up with like college football, and I'm talking like the Ryan Russillos of the world, a lesser known guy, Aaron Torres, who weirdly got connected with way back when and wrote for one of his side websites, not important. I'm amazed that those dudes watch college football. Like going out to Southern California and being in one of those beach towns, spending your day watching college football is a commitment. I'm not sure I would do it Man. out there. I've been to Newport a couple of times, went up to Manhattan Beach once, uh, did the whole, I didn't surf, but like been through Laguna Beach. I'm not, or not Laguna Beach, Huntington. I'm not sure I would give a rat's ass about college football on a Saturday if I lived there. So like, I don't necessarily... True. There's also more stuff to do in those other markets too. And it's not unique to the West coast, but I just, I don't know if people care. I'm not saying I could, I'm not sure I can blame them either. There's a complete lack of, of give a damn. So when I proposed to my wife, we were in San Francisco uh, when I did it. And it was, uh, that was the weekend Ole Miss played Cal in Berkeley. Oh, and we go, we go to a bar uh, that afternoon to watch Mississippi state played LSU that day. And we, we go to a bar with San Francisco 49ers flags above the bar. We get inside. There's barely anybody in there. I asked them to put on college football, and they said, hey, it's Saturday. I said, can you put on the football game? They said, it's Saturday. Was it some dudes no. in Tottenham jerseys? What was on? Uh, no, I mean, they, they had NFL Network and stuff. Like, they, college football wouldn't even have thought in there, so I got them to change it to State LSU, and the bartender was like, huh. It just like flabbergasted that somebody asked to put on the Mississippi State LSU game. And we spend the day, you know, around San Francisco. We go across the bay. We're, we're in Oakland and Berkeley. And until I was on campus around the stadium, you would not have known that there was anything going on, like athletically at all. 
there's just there, there's a complete and total lack of give a damn out there. And I don't think you can, especially now, because I've seen people say like NIL, NIL opportunities will, will just kill it for a program like UCLA. And I guess it's possible. De'Aaron it King could. got a bunch of money in Miami. It could. Not a slight you, You've got to get people to care about these players endorsing your product, right? I mean, there's still an ROI element to name, image, and likeness for places like that, like a Georgia Tech. You know, in Mississippi, you're going to get a bunch of NIL deals for people that just want to pay the players and don't care about getting a return. But like Miami, the, the Florida Panthers gave De'Aaron King an NIL deal. You think they're going to give a Miami quarterback another one from here on out? I mean, no, that was a complete waste of money for them. So until those people start caring more, you're not going to be able to do what's necessary to win. I think they're stuck. I think you've got Oregon, Washington, and Southern Cal because of some inherent advantages. And then otherwise, that conference is screwed. Utah's never going to get players to compete on a national level. It's not going to happen. And they have and they pound care. for pound maybe the best coach in the country, too. That yeah. guy does an unbelievable job there, and those teams are always tough as shit. But yet, exactly. when it comes down to it, can't get enough players to do it. So I think they're stuck. I think they're screwed. And an expanded playoff would greatly benefit them. An expanded playoff would greatly benefit the ACC and Wake Forest in this case. And it would greatly benefit Ole Miss and Mississippi State here, which is why I advocate for it so often, because I would love to have the game next weekend with Ole Miss and A&M be to keep your playoff spot. Yeah, I agree. They would benefit from AQs, too, where you have the conference champion gets in no matter what, yeah. so you know you have a seat at the table every year. The last thing I wanted to get to college football playoff where we get to some Ole Miss and State stuff was the Cincinnati aspect of this. They come in at six. I personally would have had them at four, um, but that doesn't matter at this point because I think eventually some most of this stuff is going to shake itself out. I mean – they clearly would be rooting for Georgia in the SEC title game, but I don't necessarily even want to get into the hypotheticals of it all. I don't think they're necessarily jobbed at six, but man, if we go through all of this and they run the table and they somehow don't end up in the college football playoff, and I'm not sure even how relevant this version of this conversation is because of conference realignment, but this is never happening with a group of five school. If this Cincinnati team wins out and doesn't get in. It's just never going to happen. They ran the table two years in a row in the regular season. You didn't mention the loss in the bowl game to Georgia. Does that change things if they beat Georgia? I, I have no idea. I, I doubt it much. So, like, if, if this happens and they run the table and, and they don't get in with a road win against a – I don't know who, who Notre Dame has left. I assume they'll stay around the top ten. Like, this is never happening, right? No one's ever getting in if this team does right. it. And Notre this Dame's is a team – talking about the scheduling. eye test, as much as the eye test factors in – you look at this team and they're like, oh, these guys are good. I'm not necessarily saying I would pick them against Alabama. Clearly, I wouldn't. I sure as I wouldn't pick them against Georgia. But Ohio State and Michigan State, like, they have the speed and athleticism that you can kind of see with the naked eye while watching their games. That's different than even, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, some of the like, couple of those UCF teams. So if this team doesn't get it, it it's not happening. Yeah, uh, for sure. Notre Dame's remaining schedule, Navy at Virginia, Georgia Tech, at Stanford. Notre, Notre Dame will finish 11-1, and one, that one loss being Cincinnati, and Cincinnati will not get into the playoff. It's not going to happen. They're going to make sure it doesn't happen. I mean, this so you don't ranking, think they'll get in? I don't think they'll get in. I think they got a shot if they run the table. I really do. 
they're going to have to though, because Ohio state, Ohio state and Michigan state will eliminate each other. But honestly, man, let's pretend Michigan runs the table. They'll jump Cincinnati. A 12 and one Michigan with wins over Ohio state. And who would it be out of the West? Wisconsin. And jump, they jump. I think they have Penn state left too. They would jump Cincinnati. They would. Maybe I'm cynical. I don't know, but well, that might be. They, they need a factor. lot of help. They need a lot of help. I think to get in. I mean, they need they they need Alabama to lose again. They, they need Michigan State to lose. They need Ohio State to lose. They need Oregon to lose. They need Oklahoma to lose. If Oklahoma goes undefeated, they're going in over Cincinnati, although they're currently ranked behind. Yeah, I mean, I mean this is probably what, what that's happens how you're going to answer this question, out. right? I mean, that's how we're going to see it. I do think that they should, if it comes down to something like that, I do think they should put Cincinnati in. But I mean, if they don't, then clearly it's not ever happening. They need to get Oregon. Cincinnati needs Oregon and Michigan State to slip up one more time, not against Ohio State and Michigan State's case. They need Michigan State to lose one more in between and then maybe beat Ohio State. But yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I don't necessarily know if I'd go as far yet to say they wouldn't put them in. But that's probably what it's going to come down to debate-wise. And if the committee does what you're saying, um, then clearly it's it, – I mean, it's never happening. Yeah. Um, it, so, And I, I'm speaking in absolutes, and I shouldn't, uh, you know, because that could certainly come back to bite me. I just – I've seen this movie before. I've, I've seen this play out before. And I, I think it's clear, you know, maybe it's a – I got my tinfoil hat on over here. You know, I, I got my COVID shot, so I've got my 5G working. Uh, so maybe I'm being cynical, but I have just seen that brands have taken precedent over everything else. And the committee and college football would rather put Ohio state in or Michigan in or Oklahoma in over Cincinnati, even if they possibly don't deserve to be in over Cincinnati. I've just seen this before and maybe Cincinnati joining the big 12, might give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, although they haven't played a Big 12 schedule yet. I've just, I've seen this before. I I know, I mean, we see it right now. Alabama's number two. They lost to Texas A&M. They're second in the country. Look, we know what would happen if Ohio State and Cincinnati played each other this week. We we know what would happen, right? I think... I think I, think. I, I view that slightly differently than, than than Cincinnati versus the two SEC schools. Maybe I'm dumb for thinking it, but I think it's just – and I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I just put Ohio State in the same talent level as Georgia and Alabama. But you're probably right. I don't know why I view that one as slightly different. I wouldn't give them a shot in hell against either Alabama or Georgia, but I don't know. It, it'll be fascinating. I'd like it's to tough, it man. And I have so many conflicting feelings about it because on one hand, I think Cincinnati deserves credit for being what they are. I mean, they're, they're undefeated. They've played two power five teams and beat them both. One of which was Notre Dame on the road. Like I said before, their one loss is Georgia in a bowl game in two years. Michigan state is undefeated in their, I mean, they've just beat Michigan. They've got what I think is what should be the Heisman favorite playing running back. They have, what, 15 guys that Mel Tucker got in the transfer portal that are impact players. Like, that's a good football team. Oregon went to the shoe and beat Ohio State. Like, all this happened. But yet, I don't envy the people that have have that decision. I really don't, because I don't think it's perfect. 
Well, I mean, there's there's no scenario that you could have a perfect ranking right now. I mean, we're starting to see. It's not even a trend at this point. We've been seeing it for six years. But you mentioned uh, the Barto quote. Is there a less enviable position to be in from a PR standpoint than being the guy who has to come out and talk to Reese Davis moments after the committee comes out? Because you're going to trip over, you're going to trip over yourself to use a G-rated term and contradict yourself. Like imagine having to be the guy that goes on TV and explains one through 25 in the rankings while you did each thing. Like I, it's easier to do it in the college basketball uh, in state selection committee. Now you're just these made up rankings that don't even necessarily like count for anything yet. That, that would have to suck. Like there's no, there's no amount of PR person that could give you the right amount of notes to sound well in one of those interviews, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Crappy system, but it's a weird, bizarre sport. Last aspect of it, People, they clearly don't like Oklahoma, which could get fascinating because uh, Oklahoma does go to Baylor in a couple weeks. They have the Bedlam game. I don't know who else is left in between. They'll probably start rising up. They continue to win games, but it doesn't look great for Oklahoma. Um, nothing. I'm just going through the list here. Nothing really else stuck out. Everything seems to be about right. I actually thought Ole Miss was a little bit low. Um, and I'm not giving the committee uh, enough of not the benefit of the doubt, but enough credit to where they'd be like, oh, look how decimated they are receiver. Don't think anyone in the room is probably saying things like that. I thought they were a little low and then state got a lot of respect, which uh, I don't even necessarily think that's unwarranted by any stretch, because as you said, right before we started recording, I mean, who's got three better wins than them in terms of A&M, Kentucky and NC State, those all three of those teams are in the top 20 of the college football playoff bowl. NC State's 19, right? The, that is all three top NC 20. State 19, uh, AM 14, Kentucky 18. Yeah, nobody else has three wins over uh, currently ranked teams like Mississippi State. But uh, on the other hand, I mean, they do have a really bad loss to Memphis and a really bad loss to LSU when they were completely non competitive against Alabama this weekend. And almost lost to a bad lot tech team. Yeah, should have, honestly. But that is week one. If there's one that you could throw in the trash, I'd probably give them the yeah. benefit of it out there. State has the potential. Uh, we're going to find out this weekend, I think, if if what we've seen the last two weeks is who they are or just what they can be. Because we know they can be a good football team. I mean, their, their defense is for real. Emerson and Forbes, uh, their defensive backs are quite good. They held Kentucky to 3.3 yards per carry. I mean, they're good in the front six. They're good in the back end. It's a good defense. Arnett's really good at what he does. Uh, they're protecting Rodgers better. Uh, he's He tested Kentucky a little bit more vertically, which has been my biggest knock on him. Is I mean, he, there were some games where his average depth of target was four yards. Uh, it was over 10 against Kentucky. Uh, so he looks like he's getting better and they're improving, but they did that against NC State as well and then lost LSU. They beat Texas A&M and were completely and totally non-competitive against Alabama. And, of course, they had that loss to Memphis. So we're going to see now with this game in Fayetteville, a rested Arkansas team coming off of a bye, is this state now? Are, are this, is this who they are every week? Or is that just who they can be, and they're still going to be a roller coaster for the rest of the season? It's a huge game for them this weekend. But 17 feels probably a little high with their losses, but – it's they're they're a roller coaster. This is who they are: great wins, big highs, worse lows in some cases. And we'll see. I mean, they've got at Arkansas, at Auburn in consecutive weeks. So we're really going to find out, you know, what this team is made of here. That's a fast. That may be the most fascinating SEC game of the weekend. 
Um, and you'll learn uh, it, it matters what it looks like too. Cause if they take two on the chin and they lose two close ball games on the road, you can't necessarily be like, ah, they're not very good. Like it's going to matter how it looks because when it's looked bad for state, it looked very, very bad. And even at times when they like, when they've looked good, it hasn't always like looked the most appeasing. So I think the optics of it and how it looks visually, I think will be kind of interesting to watch as well. Uh, that was one thing I wanted to get to before we get to the Ole Miss aspect of it, Both of these games are on at the same time. I have no, um, no responsibilities to say to watch state per se, particularly if they're playing at the same time, Ole Miss clearly with just this whole podcast thing. Like I try to watch as much college football and sec football as I can, but with them playing at the exact same time, I watched virtually none of that game aside from a handful of snaps where I could. What did that game look like? It's two years in a row. Mike Leach has his team playing better in the second half of the year. Was it more about what state did or was Kentucky just somewhat overrated? I mean, Ada texted me the next morning because I just asked and he was like, I mean, state played really well, but Kentucky might have might end up being the worst 10 and two team we've seen in quite some time. What, what was your takeaway from that game? It's a little bit of both. Uh, the, the people that were saying Penn State made a mistake by letting Will Levis go because he threw for a bunch of yards against Louisiana Monroe probably want that take back. And, you know, who am I to talk? There are a lot of takes that I wish I could have back. But uh, it, it's a combination of both. Uh, I think that, like I said, I, I think State really has the makings of, of what could be a really good defense. They have a couple of NFL corners for sure. Uh, they're really good against the run. Uh, th th those things are real. And that's really who they've been. Uh, you know, LSU was able to score 28 points against them, but that's not a whole lot anyway. And there was one blown coverage in that game and a, a drive that was stopped late in the game that a roughing the punter kept the drive alive. LSU scored immediately thereafter, stuff like that. Um, they've been largely a really good defense all year. Memphis scored on them because of special teams, wonders, or turnovers. It's a good defense, and they've really been quite good for most of the season. Uh, however, Will Levis is very limited. When pressured, can make mistakes and, and made, what, made three interceptions and a fumble for Kentucky in that game. Uh, there's a lot of overratedness to them, but it's hard to go 36 of 39 on air. And that's what Will Rogers did. I, I think he's playing better. Good God. Uh, yeah, he was 36 to 39. Two of them were drops. He, he should have been if his receivers catch the football 38 of 39 in that game. I, I mean, would have broken a completions record if he would have gotten to 40. If he just threw another pass, he would have broken a completions record, uh, a completion percentage record, I should say. Makai um, Polk is consistent and good. They're, they're finally getting Jaden Wally involved in the offense. But the biggest thing for that game was they ran the football. Not well. But they did it. Over 30 carries, true carries in that game to running backs. And that opened up the back end of Kentucky's defense, more one-on-one -on -one matchups, stuff like that. And, and Will Rogers took advantage. So uh, it's really the first time they've emphasized running the football all season. And it wasn't that effective, but it did just enough to open everything else up. And it's huge for them because it guarantees them bowl eligibility because uh, they have, the, what, Tennessee State in between. And, look, I know they got to a bowl last year, but that's a COVID no, year. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Yeah, I think the most honest <laughs> State fan would tell you they probably didn't feel great about the, you know, Armed Forces Bowl here where, you know, less than a mile from where I'm at right now over in Fort Worth. 
um, against Tulsa or whatever, but getting at six and six against the hard SEC slate and not the easiest non-conference slate in a normal year, I think is important as well. So credit to Leach, they're playing good again in the second half of the season. I'm fascinated to see how that turns out if he can turn it into, you know, a win against any or all three of Auburn, Arkansas, and Ole Miss to kind of close this thing out. I'm fascinated to see that. Flipping over to the Ole Miss side, Ole Miss coming off a loss, which was probably – not probably, I think definitely the most frustrating of the year. Maybe some people are more frustrated again from the Alabama game listening to this, but I think you saw pretty clearly there's still a wide talent gap, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And Ole Miss got just blitzkrieged up front so early that to me, like, you know, 37, 40 minutes of that game were just relatively moot. It was a weird game. People were upset about the officials. I did my officiating rant on Sunday night with Weldon. I don't necessarily want to do it again, but all as shorthanded as they were, they had plenty of chances to win that game. They're decimated at receiver. They've got to get some combination of Mingo, Drummond, Sanders back, at least two of the three, I think, to be like a real functioning offense and functioning like they were, you know, in mid-September. Um, I don't necessarily feel great about Mingo's chances, but that's just a, a guess. I don't figure Sanders or Drummond will be out for the year, but hell, I don't know. How do you view this team heading into a crucial month in November? Because this is a fascinating month because on paper, I think at the beginning of the year, eight and four, most Ole Miss fans would have taken that as kind of like the baseline level of a successful season. But with the way the year got going in mid to late-ish October at six and one or whatever they were, I think it would kind of be weirdly viewed as a disappointment stumbling down the stretch. Whereas I think they could go four and oh if they get those guys healthy, but if they don't, I don't think they stand a chance of doing it. It's fascinating month. How do you view the final four games for this old Miss team? Yeah, they need to get healthy. Not this weekend. I don't think if any of the three receivers and like you, it doesn't sound like Mingo has, has a real chance of getting back soon. Uh, I don't think they need any of them uh, to win and win comfortably this weekend, but 10 and two for this team is still on the table. It feels if Sanders and Drummond are able to go and be effective, uh, you know, credit to Dr- uh, Drummond for trying. He's clearly, it has not been a hundred percent for weeks, but yet he's still out there and still somehow gets open and catches the football and like run good runs, good routes. I mean, he's uh He's impressive, and uh, I'd, I'd take him on my team anytime. But it's still there for them if they can get healthy. They don't even need everybody back. I mean, obviously, Ben Brown's out for the year. If they just get those two guys back, if they can be effective again, they can beat Texas A&M, Texas A&M at home, and they can beat Mississippi State in Starkville because the most important factor here is they're playing good enough defense to win. They, three weeks in a row now, they have played good enough defense to win games. Has it been perfect? No. I mean, we've had state fans text into the radio show, why are you talking about the Ole Miss defense? They're not better. They're 107th and whatever. Watch the games. I agree with that. I saw that on the board, talking about the 107th. Clearly, it's not good. But to your point, the last three weeks, aside from the first two quarters against Auburn, I realize he can't do that. I'm not casting aside. Has overall been pretty good. But, but that's, that's enough. That's all you've ever asked for for this team, right? Going into the season was just play competent defense. You don't have to be the best defense in America. Hell, you don't even have to be top 50. Just get stops on occasion. Be reliable at some point. And for three, three weeks in a row, 
they played well enough to win. Auburn scored touchdowns on four of their first five possessions and three points after that. That was good enough to win. And, I mean, let's be honest here, too. How many teams in America could lose their best three receivers, two offensive linemen, their starting tight end, have their quarterback on two bum ankles, and win in Jordan-Hare? Not many. But they're playing well enough right now, and they're, they're so confident, and it looks like they know their assignments, like they're in the right places. They're not blowing coverages, really. I mean, yes, they do, but compared to what we've known about them, they're not blowing coverages anymore. They're in the right places. They're getting after the quarterback. Defensive line play has been great, comparatively speaking, to what we saw earlier in the season. This is a unit that I think can beat Texas A&M and Mississippi State as long as they have some semblance of offense. It's still Everything is still right there for them. They can still go to an access bowl. They can still get Matt Corral to New York City. Can he win? I think that ship has probably sailed. But they can get him there, and that's a big deal. Everything that this team wants to be is still there for the taking without having to stretch to get there. Agreed. It's there. It's just, it really does. Like, I think it's all about the health at receiver because they've done okay for the most part on the offensive line, even with like minus those guys. Like, yes, has it shown up in parts like that fourth down, whatever it was, the fourth and seven from the 13? Bryce Ramsey just got com- like completely whiffed on whoever that was, and the play never stood a chance because Corral had someone in his face immediately. And, you know, the other, the first fourth down that wasn't converted in the second half, I think was partially a product of them being a little bit scared to run in between the tackles. The one where Corral kind of sidearmed it to Casey Kelly and the throw was off the mark, which might be the shortest errant pass of Matt Corral's career off to crunch the numbers, go back and watch some tape on that one, but not, not great. But I, I really think it does come down to receivers. I've had struggle with the receivers aspect of it because I think you're right in the sense that how many teams could lose their top three receivers and still look good. But I think part of the frustration and maybe part of it that's an indictment on the lack of depth, not even necessarily the coaching staff, just Ole Miss not having depth currently, is the seismic drop-off after the three. Because it's not like all three of those are are, uh, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and DeMarcus Lodge. But even when those three are not on the field, the three Ole Miss has currently, being Mingo, Sanders, and Drummond, the drop-off after that is – is brutal and credit to Jacord Pearson. Like Ole Miss is not going to be able to survive for any lengthy stretch of time as him as the number one target. But in the finite amount of time where him being the number one option was the only option, he was actually okay. Like seven catches, 135 yards. Kid played his ass off. He's a small slot ish kind of receiver. I, like outside of that, I mean, they, they don't trust kids to even line up right. I mean, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you saw Kiffin either post game or on Monday, but talking about how yeah. hard it makes on the quarterback where. Kids don't know where to line up and where to go, I believe, with some variation of the quote. I'm sure I butchered that a little bit, but that <laughs> that's alarming because, I mean, not having receivers on the roster that you can even put in the game to do the right thing, not create separation, not, you know, go up and win one-on-one battles, but just do the right thing schematically is is alarming. And, you know, I mean, they, they put Miles Battle, who in some arguments is one of their top two, maybe the best cover corner in some scenarios, back on offense just to try to survive is an indictment of the lack of depth. So it's a complicated question, like a complicated situation to look at there because I don't necessarily blame them for not being good at receiver, minus their top three guys, but the drop off is pretty jarring. 
Yeah, and, and that that and there's line, no fix. By the way, was my last thought. There's, you can't fix it right. now. It is what it is. It is. It is absolutely what it is. They just need the those two to get healthy. But uh, th- there has to blame has to lie somewhere. Whether it be a misevaluation or, or poor coaching, but when you have your head coach say that they don't know what to do, somebody is failing. And it could be the kid too, I guess. I mean, you, you absolutely have situations where players don't put in the work to understand what they're supposed to be doing, but somebody somewhere is failing if the backup wide receivers do not know what to do. Like, it, it, it'd be different if they just couldn't make the plays, weren't fast enough couldn't run crisp routes that I get that they don't know what to do they don't know where to line up somebody's failing that that somebody somewhere is failing and that is completely unacceptable whoever's doing it this is here's your Max Kellerman take of the day whoever's doing it does not need to be at Ole Miss next year whoever is responsible for it whether it be coaching not being good enough getting players prepared or players not doing the work to get prepared. That does not need to be at Ole Miss after the season ends. That needs to be either processed out or replaced via new coach. Like that. Not, and I'm not talking about Kiffin either. I'm talking about position coach. Cause that is unacceptable. That is it completely and totally unacceptable. And whoever is coming up short does not need to be in the sec anymore. I think it, you think you're right. I think it's the latter half. I think you're going to see the processing aspect of it because they're going to go try to get multiple impact guys at receiver. And I think you're going to see. Well, and they got one, remember, who, who couldn't play this year because of grades for Missouri. Right. That is correct. I've for, forgotten about him. Obviously, off the top of my head, I can't remember the kid's name because it's been I so long. Either, but I, know, I, for, I forgot Quay Davis was even around. Like, there's there's a couple of kids. I mean, when when they threw the deep route to J.J. Henry, and that didn't, none of this really applies to, like, true freshmen like Henry. You can't really, like, blame the kid for not being ready as, you know, 18-year-old true freshman. But there have been multiple times where I looked up this year, particularly injury-wise, and they throw it to someone. I'm like, wait, who? Like, I have to go look up the roster on my phone, which – it's probably not a great time, but I agree. I think you're going to, I mean, Weldon hit on this a little bit, and I think Neil has written about this some as well, but, like, you could see a scenario where they go get, like, 15 high school kids and 10 kids that are not high school kids, per se. So yeah, This is not the year to look up recruiting, to, to judge who they bring in based on recruiting rankings. And the recruiting services need to catch up to this. I, I don't know how you do it. I mean, they're smarter than me. They've got market caps that are their way above my pay grade that can figure this out. But this, like this class may not finish in the top 15, like people wanted it to, because they're not going to sign the number of guys that it takes to get there. They're going to bring in, they're going to, pro- like you said, they're going to process a bunch of kids out. I mean, they're going to bring a quarterback in from the portal, possibly. You're going to see wide receivers come from the portal. Maybe a linebacker come from the portal, defensive linemen come from, I mean, They're going to use it because why would you not? And it will not reflect on recruiting rankings. So, uh, I mean, who knows? You may get some mayoral retweets or something talking about how bad the recruiting class is. Uh, But this incoming group needs to be looked at in a different prism than just the recruiting ranking. Because they had an official visit from a Syracuse transfer at wide receiver. He will not be reflected in the class. But if he comes, it's a big pickup. But that won't be what is fought on signing day. So for those of you, I, I'm not a big recruiting guy myself. I'm not as locked into it as the people that actually cover it. But I do know that there 
likely are going to be some people that have incorrect opinions about the incoming group of players for Ole Miss because they're just going to look at recruiting class ranking and not the bodies that came in from elsewhere as well. I agree. It's It'll be fascinating. It's going to be an interesting last month for both teams. And if there's a chance, you know, as big of a shit show as the Egg Bowl has been at times over the last half decade, State continues to play well and Ole Miss rights the ship a little bit. That could actually be a really fascinating game. Don't love it being on Thanksgiving, but it's a hell of a lot better than, you know, any Egg Bowl that we covered when we worked at the same place. None of those were much fun. Uh, it was just – I mean, every single year, I guess it was technically only two years, but, like, I mean, you're talking about a Matt Corral fight and then the piss and miffs. That, that's not really what you want from a branding standpoint and really a cover standpoint. Like, it was entertaining to get jokes off, but, like, that that wasn't fun. So, I don't know. going to be a fascinating last month. I appreciate the time, as always, dude. Check them out, Michael Borky. Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 every day. You got the YouTube show going. Y'all done much baseball? The Braves? I don't – you know what? No one's going to hear this till after it's over. The Braves are about to win the World Series. They're up 5 nothing in the fifth against the Houston Astros. If they come back – or Astros, God forbid, they come back, people are going to be upset, but I don't care. Now that you've said that. Oh, uh, did, Fre- uh, did Freddie – as I said this, I think Freddie just went off the wall to make it – Six nothing. Yeah, see, really? see, oh I said it, and Freddie goes off the wall. So this is this is a done deal. Congrats to Braves fans. That's really cool. I have no rooting interest whatsoever. I mean, I grew up two hours north of Atlanta, and just still didn't adopt the Braves. Uh, I'm the idiot that likes basketball more than baseball. I know how awful that sounds, but uh, I, I know a lot of people around here love the Braves and are long suffering Atlanta sports fans. And as somebody that has adopted New Orleans sports. Uh, Gosh, almost a decade ago now, Rippy. I'm getting old. Uh, I'm not supposed to like be happy for people from Atlanta or Atlanta sports fans, but they deserve this after the shit that they've been through. This is an awesome the Falcons story. with the Braves. I mean, they lost their hockey team a couple of times. <laughs> Atlanta sports fans have dealt with so much, except for uh, I, I guess their soccer team won a, one of the tournaments that MLS has a few years ago. But they deserve this, and I'm, I'm honestly, truly, genuinely happy for those people because they just won the World Series. Exactly. I, I mean, I hopped on the Braves bandwagon for the playoffs. It's a really cool story. I don't consider myself clearly a Braves fan. I'm not going to go, like, buy some merch if they finish this thing off and, you know, pop any champagne tonight. But I have been kind of invested in the Braves story just because it's fascinating. I mean, you lose – one of the most beloved, maybe the most beloved Atlanta sports figure right now. I think you take Acuna over Matt Ryan currently, like in terms of guys playing. And they pretty much left for dead. The For a front office, that don't always, always spend money, which is a lot of times reflective of ownership and anything. But to retool the outfield the way they did and really go through, I mean, they went through the Dodgers and a pretty good Brewers team and an Astros team that on paper is much better than them. It's it's a fascinating and really cool story. So I hope it works out well for them. I hope we didn't jinx this. My initial jinx and then Freddie Freeman hitting one off the wall makes me feel pretty good about it. So uh, congrats to you Braves fans listening, possibly hungover in the morning. Um, appreciate the time, dude. I'm sure we'll do this again. Uh, maybe, I don't know, end of the season, something like that. I'm sure we'll have something else to complain about, but we will. Uh, Post get... Egg Bowl, why not? Yeah, to hell with it. Why not? Well, uh, get the, uh, the old Rebel Report back up and running again. Uh, I'll call you later, man. I appreciate it. Anytime, man.
All right, that's our show. I hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. Hope you made it toward the end of to the end of the podcast. If you did, thank you very much. And I think you're going to enjoy Friday's show as well with some recruiting stuff with Weldon, as I teased at the top. Thanks for listening. I really enjoyed seeing this podcast grow, interacting with you folks along the way. It really makes uh makes it something to look forward to coming home from uh coming home from the day job and creating something that uh people can come hang out, have a good time, laugh a little bit along the way. And I've enjoyed seeing where this has gone. So you'll have a great rest or middle of your week and we'll chat again with you on thursday night or friday i'm going to try to get the pod out a little bit earlier on thursday uh since we're going to do some earlier recording so be on the lookout for that got a packed packed friday show for you per usual everybody have a great wednesday tax day is coming oh no but if you sign up for robin hood gold's ira with a three percent match you can get up to 195 dollars for the 2023 tax year oh yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.